I, I want to start out with uh, just praying over this part of the service, and, and uh, we've had a lot of things happen already. Um, a number of us have been here for some hours now. We had a great Sunday school time. Um, a lot of different things happening in classrooms right now. You saw a little bit of what's happening up in his kids. There's great things happening in the nursery right now. We're grateful for what God is doing. But now we've come to the time in God's Word. And I want you to pray with me. In fact, pray for yourself that, that, that God would open up your heart to all that He has for you through His Word today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You for the power of Your Word. Your Word that came, in some cases, to us many years ago. In others, Lord, just recently. But Lord, when we go into Your Word, You speak to us. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit, Lord, who speaks to us, who wrote these words, who, who, who inspired these words, and, and now who will bring it very real to our hearts. Jesus, I pray that nothing would distract us. None of the things that have been happening in our lives, though they're very real and in many cases very serious, that they would not impede your word from, from penetrating our hearts. So Lord, we give ourselves again to you and to the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've had a lot of joys in life. One of my great joys is to see what Jesus does in people's lives. I would have to say it's one of the greatest joys I have is to see the Lord Jesus Christ take a person from spiritual darkness and transfer them into spiritual light. I love to see a person who, who is surrounded. I don't love to see a person surrounded by death, but I love to see a person who is surrounded by destruction and death that the enemy brings, and then Jesus taking them to a place of absolute healing and deliverance so that they experience the joy of the Lord and they go from darkness to spiritual light. Come on, how many here have experienced that kind of a joy? It's a wonderful thing to observe. I never get tired of seeing what Jesus does in a person's life. I've seen that in so many of your lives I've seen, I've seen the brokenness in, 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 in many cases, and then, and then Jesus do a healing. I love to see it. If you have your Bibles, uh, please, uh, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark 5 records a man who was surrounded by death. He lived in a cemetery, so there was literal death around him, but more than that, there was a spiritual darkness, a spiritual death around him as well. He was surrounded by death, but we know his story. Increasingly, he was set free by Jesus. For two weeks now, we have been studying this man's story and how Jesus, stepping off a small boat in the Gerasene region, was immediately confronted by a naked and wounded and shrieking man. We know that this man was filled with demonic spirits. Multiple, maybe even thousands of them. Jesus asked him his name, the demon, his name, and he said, we are legion. Legion could have numbered in the thousands. And so here's this man who was just consumed with these foul, evil, demonic spirits. Last week we saw how 
this man was delivered from those demons. How, how when Jesus gave permission, Jesus said, out, and, 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 and these, these demons left the man. It says they left the man and they entered a nearby herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs. And then Scripture records how those, those pigs ran off a cliff down into the Sea of Galilee where they, where they drowned. 2,000 dead pigs floating in the water. And then, at the very end of our time together last week, we saw how this man, how this man wanted then to follow Jesus. But Jesus, the Bible says, did not allow him to travel with him, but rather sent him back to his family to tell them and to tell others what Jesus Christ had done for him. It's an amazing story. It's a true story, but it's an amazing event that happened here in this place. By the way, um, uh, we know about where this happened, this event happened. Uh, It is the only place on the Sea of Galilee where a cliff overlooks the water. An interesting thing about biblical geography, very seldom does X mark the spot, and yet we know where this happened. The the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, but it's kind of in a basin, and and in most cases, in all cases except one, it's, it's quite some distance between the mountains. There's a lot of land, and then there's the Sea of Galilee, but there's one place there on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee where cliffs go into the water and we know where this is. My wife and I were there just a few years ago. I'm not kidding. I looked around for a herd of pigs. Didn't see any, alive or dead, but uh, been there. Fascinating place. True story. An amazing story of Jesus taking someone from, from darkness into spiritual light. Last Tuesday, I like to, I like to keep uh, uh, up on news and and I don't spend an inordinate amount of time, but I like to be aware of what's going on. And I was, I was reading a, 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 news, a, a news website, just kind of scanning through it, and, and I read this, this news headline, An Uninhabited Island's Swimming Pigs Are Dying. Now, I just read this last Tuesday. Now, usually I would not be interested in that kind of a of a headline. But you understand why. I mean, just having preached about it on Sunday and then 2 days later I read this I read this headline an unha- uninhabited island swimming pigs are dying. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that article. Here's the here's the lead paragraph in that article. The Washington Post calls the untimely demise of some of the famous swimming pigs of the Bahamas. That's where it happened. The friendly feral animals who live on the uninhabited island of Big Major K, also known as Pig Beach, a mysterious wave of death. That has nothing to do with demonic spirits entering into them, but the article continued and it said that seven pigs have died, leaving only 15 pigs on the other. Now, some of you are thinking, you're making this story. I'm not. Here's, here's the picture that accompanied the article. Aren't they cute? I mean, I didn't, I didn't, who knew pigs can swim? I did not know that. So, 
I got to thinking, right? I read this article, and, uh, uh, and I got to thinking. I have a bit of an overactive imagination sometimes, and I got to thinking how a first-century garrison newspaper might describe what happened in Mark chapter 5. <laughs> All right, so, so here's my imaginary headline. Local pigs can't swim. And here's my imaginary lead paragraph. The Garrison Post reports that witnesses are calling the untimely demise of, 20, of 2,000 local pigs who suddenly jumped into the sea and drowned a mysterious wave of death. And here's the accompanying picture. You see it there before you. <laughs> and then just below that article, one more article from my overactive Imagination reads this way, local man is reunited with his family following a prolonged psychotic episode. Authorities are also questioning him about a possible connection to the aforementioned demise of pigs. He repeatedly tells people, Jesus did it and let me tell you about him. Now, now that, that is just those last couple of articles are all of my imagination, but what is recorded here is powerful truth. It's powerful in the retelling because this man's story, this what we refer to as the garrison demoniac, but by this time he is the former garrison demoniac. Now he's known as the garrison evangelist, the garrison person who can't keep quiet about telling people about Jesus. I love this story here in Mark chapter 5 because this man's story represents how people today who are bound by all kinds of things but who by the power of Jesus Christ have been released from the death and the destruction that is surrounding them. And when I read this story, as I have many times, I pray this, God, do it again, and do it again, and do it again. Again, I love to see. I love to see what Jesus Christ does to a person taking them from spiritual death and transforming them into spiritual death life. God, do it again. Many of you, and again, I, I know so many of your stories. I, 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 know, I know a lot of some of your history, and it's so much fun to look at you over the span of many years or many months and to see what Jesus has done and is continuing to do in your life. God, do it this, again today, continuing in our lives. And yet this morning's message is not about the demon-possessed man, but about the other people in that region. Verses 14 through 16 read this way. Those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people, people of the region, went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. That last verse again. Those who had seen it, the eyewitnesses of 
pigs running off the cliff and into the open water. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. That's one thing. And they told them about the pigs as well. A herd of pigs, a herd of pigs meant that this was a non-Jewish community. That didn't stop Jesus from going there. He still had a purpose. In fact, there were a number of times when Jesus would minister to persons or even areas that were non-Jewish. But this was a non-Jewish area. Jews did not Jews did not raise pigs. They would have nothing to do with them. And Jews did not eat pigs, so there would be little market. It, why raise pigs if the prevailing, the largest group of people around there wouldn't eat them? So we know that this is a non-Jewish area. Also, the fact that it was a large herd of pigs probably meant that there were multiple owners. Uh, uh, rarely at this place or at this time would you have one person owning such a large herd of pigs. It was probably multiple owners, kind of like a pig mutual fund, if you will. One big herd, a lot of different owners. So it's safe to assume that some of the people who were coming from the area were also, because again, the herders of the pigs would not necessarily be the owners, they're the people hired, but who would have they gone to tell? Back into town, and the first persons that they would tell would be the people or some of the people who owned the pigs. So it's a safe assumption that many of the people who now came to the site, many of the people who are now a part of this last verse that we read, were people who owned many of the pigs. They arrived, it says, and they saw the man who was seated at Jesus' feet. It says that he was wearing clothing, he had been naked, he was out of his mind, he had a crazy look in his eyes, he shrieked, he hollered, he miserably would be around, he was just totally out of his head. Why wouldn't he be as hundreds, maybe thousands of demons within him? But it says he was clothed and he was in his right mind. <laughs> and they could tell it. I mean, one look at his, at his eye, I wonder what this guy looked like. He, I, I kind of think that he, he, he looked like the guy from uh, Back to the Future. You know, the mad scientist had kind of that crazy look in his eye. I think that's what he looked like before. But now, now he's in his right mind and he looks different. They see that. They, it says that right here. It says, those who had seen it told the people what had happened about the demon-possessed man. So they're here. They're, they're seeing this. They, they, they know this man's story. Something has happened. Now he's, he's changed. But it says at the end of verse 15, the verse before this one that you see, it says they were afraid. That's an interesting response, isn't it? They were afraid. You know, there's nothing in Scripture that is there by mistake. These people saw what had happened to this man. They also saw what had happened to the pigs, and it says they were afraid. They knew something had happened. They, they, they knew that you know, this is dramatic, not only, from, not only from what the persons who were hurting the pigs told them they knew something had happened, but just by what they were observing. They knew something has changed, something has happened here. But they couldn't understand it. And it scared them. They saw the man. They saw this man much improved from the last time they saw him. I mean, this is the guy. This is the same guy? Really? This is the guy? 
His hair is combed and his, his clothing is on and, and he doesn't have that crazy, scary look in his eye. They knew that this man was different. They, 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 they knew that something had happened within him. But they also, can you imagine them, they see the man sitting there at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is right there, but then they just kind of glance over to the other side and they, they also see the 2,000 dead pigs floating belly up in the Sea of Galilee. Someone had come back to life, but some things had died. That's very important. It says it right here in this. They, they, they see what has happened to this man. They know that they, they heard the story of what happened to this man but they also saw the 2,000 dead pigs. Something was alive that had been dead, and something is dead that had just a short time before been alive. You got life and death right here, just one small area. And that is what shook them up, and it says that they were afraid. And in verse 17, I think it's one of the saddest Verses in the Bible, it says this. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Okay, look at that again. <laughs> then the people began to plead with Jesus. They begged Jesus to leave. Don't simply leave town, leave our region. In so many words they said, get back on your boat and go back to where you came from. We don't want you here. The people had apparently, they had apparently tolerated a maniac living in the city cemetery on the edge of town. They apparently put up with this guy who would scream all hours of the day and night. They'd come to terms that the guy that used to live in their midst was now totally out of his gourd and, and he was up there. We don't know exactly why, but he just is. They apparently put up with that. They regarded him as sad. They regarded his story as tragic. But as long as he left them alone... It had little effect on their world. But now, when Jesus came to town, when radical change began to touch their world, when it began to threaten their own lives, that was intolerable. It's fine if it's just one person. In fact, I think they would have been totally fine if it was just this one man who was affected. They would have said, it's a good thing. Don't have to listen to that screaming at night. It's not going to scare our children. It's not going to scare families when they go to bury their dead. But remember, something was now alive and something was now dead. And they were fearful over what this Jesus could do. Why would they be fearful? Perhaps they were fearful because of what else he could do. 
Maybe they were fearful that if he keeps around, we're going we're gonna to lose some other things. Maybe they were afraid that someone with this kind of power, and I don't know, this is total speculative, maybe they had heard about the storm just the night before. Because remember, that storm on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was asleep and and the disciples were afraid of dying and they wake him up and Jesus gets up and he quiets the storm with three words, quiet, be still. Maybe word about that got around. And so now maybe they're thinking, what kind of a man is this? With three words, he quiets storms. With one word, he sets one man free but kills 2,000 pigs. We don't want that kind of power here in this place. And so they kicked him out of town. They moved him out. I said that it's a sad verse. It's a tragic verse. Because I wonder how many other lives could have been changed in that region but weren't. How many marriages, how many marriages could have been salvaged because now the Prince of Peace was here and healing was here? How many marriages could have been restored but weren't because somebody said, I don't want you here. Don't bring Jesus. How many diseased or injured bodies could have been healed? How, how many persons with life-destroying addictions in the region of Gerasene could have been delivered, could have been delivered if Jesus would have stayed around a little bit longer? How, how, how many families, how many families could have been radically changed not only in this generation, but in the generations to come. If Jesus would have been around just a little bit longer. How many other persons, because there had to be others. How many other persons, oh maybe they weren't quite as manic as the guy in the cemetery, but how many other persons possessed by demonic spirits were still in this area and they remained the way that they were because somebody said, get out of town. Because they moved Jesus up. Get back in your boat. We don't want you here. Didn't happen. All of those things that could have happened didn't happen because the perceived cost of having Jesus close by was just too great. These people, these people of the Gerasene region valued property more than they valued people. And when one was threatened, they said, not here. And all of those things that could have happened did not happen because the perceived cost, perceived cost of having Jesus up close and personal is just too great. Throughout the Word, not only here in Mark chapter 5, but throughout the Word, Jesus brought radical change to individuals. Jesus, whenever he came into any environment, whether it be one person 
a small group, a gathering of people, a multitude, or a region. Wherever Jesus came, he brought radical change in people's lives. He brought radical change to established systems and to communities. For example, years after this event, some, a lot of years after this event, in Acts chapter 16, uh, two missionaries, Paul and Silas, were in a city called Philippi. And they're in this, this city called Philippi, and they're, they're doing what Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and others had done in a lot of other communities, and that is that they would proclaim Jesus, they would plant a church, <laughs> lives would be changed, and, and, and then they'd move on, sometimes forcibly so, but, some, but they would, sometimes they were there for a couple of years, and they would move on to the next community. And they were doing this, and they were in this city called Philippi, and, and, and they're preaching the gospel, and for, uh, for a couple of days, there's this girl that keeps following them around. She was a slave girl, and she was also, the Bible says, a fortune teller. And she would follow them around, and she would say true things, but she would disrupt every time that they were talking with someone or talking with a group of people, they would, she would disrupt. And finally, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, turns on her, delivers this young woman from demonic spirits. Here's the problem. Or at least not a problem for Paul. Well, and kind of it was a problem for Paul. But problem for the people who owned this young... Remember, she was a slave. The people that owned her derived an income from her, from her fortune-telling. And now when the demon spirits are gone, she no longer has this demonic power to tell people's fortunes. And, and so now their source of income dries up and they get thrown, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail. That wonderful story about Paul and Silas who are singing at midnight and all of a sudden their shackles fall off and they walk out and later on that, that night or early the next morning they lead the, the, the jailer to Jesus. That, this is the backstory. The reason they got there was because they were proclaiming Jesus. They were telling people about Jesus and people didn't like it because it changed their world. You see, having Jesus and the message of Jesus up close and personal means that life is going to change wherever Jesus came. Any environment into which he was, he was placed, Jesus brought radical change. Some people were wonderfully transformed and other people didn't like it. And this is still the case. The perceived cost of having Jesus close by is just too great. You can look for yourself. Whenever Jesus transformed lives, there was not always dancing in the streets. Sometimes there were riots in the street. Today, most people have no problem believing a good man named Jesus lived a long time ago. Today, most people have no problem believing that Jesus was a powerful teacher or an inspirational leader. And yet, when, when people declare that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus himself still today has unlimited power, when they find out that Jesus and the message of Jesus Christ means that he will take us and transform us. When people hear the message that it is through Jesus Christ alone that there is a way to God, that through Jesus Christ alone and no other is there a way to be saved and to get beyond hell, but rather to go to heaven. 
When that message is proclaimed, then the way that many people think and the way that many people act and the way that many people live and the things that many people believe are suddenly threatened. That is why there is so much pushback. That is why there is so much opposition when the transforming message of Jesus Christ changes lives. Shared in my Sunday school class this morning, similar event also from the book of Acts in the city of Ephesus. And the point that I made this morning earlier today, and now I make it again, is that when we are truly the body of Jesus Christ, when we truly be and do what He has called us to be and to do, when we speak biblical truth, regardless of what the prevailing culture increasingly says, when we stand up and say, not thus saith the law, but thus saith the Lord, there will be pushback. When we declare that there are truths that are eternal, that are all-encompassing, when we say that these truths, regardless of what I think, and even regardless of what you think, and regardless of what the majority thinks, these truths are still truths. And when we say that there is only one way, there will be pushback. You see, having Jesus close up and personal is very bothersome, not simply to pig owners on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, but it's very threatening to people in our world today. When many of you came to Jesus Christ, others were not thrilled. Some did not understand. Some people, when you came to Jesus Christ, were offended. In some cases, they called you names. In some cases, they said, are you trying to act better than me? And even some perhaps questioned the soundness of your mind. And yet, can we live any other way? If He is really Lord, and He is, if Jesus Christ is really the Son of God, and He is, then can we worship Him as anything less? If the words that He spoke were true then, then they must be true now. If the principles that we see throughout this book, this holy, only one like it book, the Word of God, if the principles that are here were effective then, or a thousand years ago, or a hundred years ago, or fifty years ago, or last year, then they are still true today. But when you declare that, get ready, there will be pushback. Some have perhaps wondered why Christianity and Christians, I mean true Christianity, I'm talking biblical Christianity. Some have perhaps wondered why biblical Christianity, why Christians are frequently ridiculed or marginalized or opposed or even attacked and this is why we don't want you here we like our life the way that it is now for the last number of moments i've been talking about the macro the big picture view and it is very true 
shared this morning earlier that in our classroom that I believe we will come in the months and the years going forward, regardless of who is in power, we're going to face times in which as followers of Jesus Christ, the pushback, the opposition, the resistance, the persecution will be greater than it is now. And we must prepare ourselves. And by preparing ourselves, I mean spiritually. But will we hold for it? That's a macro part in our culture. Let's bring it micro. Let's bring it down to you and I. You see, I have to, while I'd like to look at this only from the perspective of the big picture and say it only relates to those businesses or those persons or those beliefs or those those social mores, current social mores that are unbiblical. While I would like to say that, I also have to look at my own life and say, Lord, is there anything in me that says I want just enough of Jesus to get me to heaven, but Lord, I don't want to give that up? Is there anything in my life that I says, I like a little bit of life here, but don't let anything die over here? Isn't it interesting? Jesus, who knows all, probably knew that once he allowed the demons to leave the man, they would enter the pigs, and that the pigs would rush over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know what happened to him after that. I don't know if all of a sudden the fish went crazy. I don't know. (laughs) But I know this, that Jesus could have said, well, just go out into the open. Go up into the sky. I I, I don't... He knew that the pigs were going to die. That's my point. He had didn't have anything against pigs, but he knew that it's almost as if he knew someone was going to live, but something had to die. And I've seen this in my life, and I've seen this in your life, and perhaps you've seen it in your life and in other lives, that when we say, Lord Jesus, I want more of you, well then more of you means less of me. And more of you means less of this world. And the closer I get to you, then the things that, are, that have crept into my life that I know are ungodly, but I kind of want to hang on to them, they have to die. When we draw closer to Jesus, whoa, whoa, how was the song? So we sometimes turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. I love that line because we see things as how they really are as we draw closer to Jesus. You see, really following hard after Jesus is an incredibly wonderful and can be a very costly thing. You're saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor. You're saying that you have to pay for salvation? No, salvation's free. Salvation's free. This morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to bow down. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to genuflect a, a thousand times to, 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 to gain pleasure with God. You, you don't have to pay a certain amount of money to get out of someplace and into heaven. Salvation is free, glory to God. But if you're going to follow Jesus, it may cost you something. There may be some things, he says, get rid of. 
Something's going to live. Something's going to die. Jesus himself said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus talked about, about, about pruning and cutting back and, 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 and cutting off those things that are sometimes dead already and some things that we, already per- we still perceive as valuable, but he says, get rid of them, and out of that will come a greater harvest. You see, there's one story, the corner of Gospel of Mark, you have a man who lives to something a man who has life like he's never, but you also see death. And I say, oh Lord, oh Lord, as we, uh, 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 as we the church, the, fo- the body of Jesus Christ, as we continue to be the body of Christ in our nation, in our culture, around the world, as we continue to support, as we continue to support the missionaries, and pray for the missionaries that, that we have sent and that God has called. They're going to go into places, some of these people are going to places where Christ is, is there, there are some people in here where it's, it's vague as where they are because we don't want the nations where they are to know that they are there. Because to do so means that they would be run out. We want the people that we call and we send and we support and we pray for, we want those people to do it. But I'm saying, oh God, right here, may you use us so that this world, and we will push against culture, and we will push against, we will push, push against the social mores of our time, and we will push against what this world perceives as absolute truth. But as we, the followers of Jesus Christ, multiple millions around this nation and millions around this world as we stand up for Jesus Christ, this kingdom of Jesus Christ will be expanded. Glory to God. And there will be pushback. And in the kingdom of my heart, as I draw closer to Him, He may say, I'm going to give you life, but that's going to first have to die. I'm going to give you life like you've never had it, but this is going to die. This morning, I want to pray with you. We've come to a wonderful time in our service where we come before the Lord. We say, Lord, do a work in me. Do a work in me right now. In a few minutes, we're going to, some of us are going to make our way into the gym. We're going to see. That's going to be fun. Rejoice with them. You're certainly welcome. Pick up your kids first. But, uh, and then go over there. But I, I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you right now. Two things. That you will be the church, and because we are the church, that His kingdom will expand. But that also His kingdom will expand within us. I want to pray both of those things for you this morning. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, I thank you again for speaking to us. I come before you with thanks and gratitude for the ways in which you have shown us this story within the story. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, directed Mark to record this, not to simply tell us about the delivered man, but also to inform us 
about the people of the area who rejected you, Jesus. God, I don't ever want to reject you. So Lord, first of all, I pray for the kingdom in my heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person here this morning who has surrendered their life to you, but who in word or in deed has held something back. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us today again that if we truly want to live in you and for you, then may some things die in our lives. May they be put to death, Lord. May they be put to death so that your kingdom in my heart, my, my life, 100%, that's what your Holy Spirit spoke to us today, 100%. God, don't let me hold 5% back, 7% back, 50% back, 1%. And Lord, I pray for your kingdom in our nation, in our region, in our nation and around the world. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and my sisters here who will, in the hours ahead and the days ahead, will stand and will confront culture. It won't always, Lord, be verbally. Sometimes it may be in a passive way. But I pray, Lord, that whether it's verbalized or more importantly, lived out, I pray that you give them the strength to stand and to be salt and light, as your word calls us, to be change agents in the culture around us. So that we, like you, as your emissaries, as your ambassadors, that we will, wherever we go, with you in us, will introduce change into the world around us. We pray for our missionaries this morning. Missionaries serving right here, in some cases right here in South Dakota, in neighboring states and around the world. We have their names. Lord, help us to pray for them so that others will know and your kingdom will be expanded. We pray this, Lord, knowing that as we do this, there will be pushback, there will be resistance, there will be opposition, and there will be persecution. But Lord, can we do anything less? You said that we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, Lord, may we go with that blessing. May we be blessed of you as we, with wisdom, with love, with, with demonstrated, demonstrated love, speak truth. Even if it's not received, we will be your people. Help us, Lord. Now, as we go our way, take us back to our homes, to places of fellowship. May we be the church. Help us to love you more. Help us to demonstrate that love by loving others. Help us to share you, Lord, for this world. Huh, you are still the answer for this world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be, you may be dismissed. You can stand, uh, uh, greet each other, welcome each other, love on each other. As always, these altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray, 
There's some of us are going to make our way into the gym. We're going to see some people slimed. God bless you this morning. Go in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ.